0: All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. God bless you all. It's good to see you all. We're, we're going to jump right back in and do a review. Continue our review of the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. Like I said, if anybody needs the book to follow along, they are up here. Uh, you know, feel free to, let, if you see somebody come in and they don't have anything, let them know that there's, there's some up here. Want to jump right in, want to pray, and get started? So uh, join me in prayer as we ask God's blessing on this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, for the gift of life. Thank you, dear God, for allowing us to be here in your home, O Lord, this morning, gathered with our brothers and sisters, O Lord, of like mind, of like spirit, dear God, your spirit, O Lord, that dwells within us. We pray, dear God, that you would bless this time together, O Lord, as we Look at this uh, statement, dear God, a statement that, uh, that summarizes truths found in your word, O oh Lord. So, Father, I pray, dear God, that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our understanding, dear God, that we would be able to see your truths, dear God, as we dive into uh, this confession today, O oh Lord. And Father, I do just want to lift up everyone in this room, everyone in this building, in this church, dear God, before you. You know the cares, O oh Lord, the anxieties, the worries, the troubles, dear God, and that we bring into these doors, O oh Lord, and I pray, dear God, that, yes, that you would meet us at our point of needs, dear, dear Lord, that you would operate in mercy and in grace, dear God, as you so faithfully do, O oh Lord, but also that you would help us to set those things aside. As we look at your word, dear God, let those things be secondary and your word be primary for the glory of your name. In the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. and So, Father, we pray all these things in His matchless name. Amen. 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 Alright, so last week we spoke about what a confession was. We basically said it's just a summary statement of truths drawn from Scripture. I don't want to spend too much time on that. We talked about the Holy Scriptures, right? So this confession is just a giant statement about what we as Christians, if we hold to this particular confession, what we believe. So, this is like, uh, you know, saying, I believe in God, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, etc. That's what the confession is. And the first point of the confession was the Holy Scriptures. We talked, we started with the Holy Scriptures because we said that the Scripture is our authority, it's our standard. What we know about God, we know about it because Scripture tells us it is so. All right? And we talked. About uh, the Bible, we talked about the 66 books being inspired, other books that aren't inspired, such as the Apocrypha and the Catholic Church, etc. But we established that the authority is Scripture, this Holy Scripture, right? There's no secondary opinion or anything that supersedes Scripture. And Scripture tells us uh, that there is a holy triune God. Right? God, uh, holy, perfect, all-powerful, all, uh, all, all powerful, almighty, all-knowing, eternally existent. He exists of Himself. He was never created. He expressed, He's expressed in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are all equally God. They're 100% of attributes each person of the Trinity has. And He is holy. He is Creator. So we start off with Scripture revealing to us who God is. And then we went off and... Considered that this all powerful God is sovereign. And as He is sovereign and He's creator God and He has all power, all wisdom, all knowledge, He's perfectly holy. He has decree. His word has authority. We know it because of the Holy Scriptures. That that is our authority. That is our standard. Well, this sovereign, holy God that is is. We, we describe the word sovereign as not subject to any other authority. He stands alone and he gives a decree. We said a decree is like a royal edict. It's like a law that the king gives, etc. And God decreed certain things from eternity past because it pleased him to do so. I'm trying to look for a fancy way to describe that, but really it pleased him to do so. He's sovereign. He can do what he, what he pleases, right? The Psalms tells us that he sits enthroned in the heavens and he does what he pleases Praise God for it. So he gives decrees. He decreed everything from eternity to eternity, eternity past to eternity to future. He didn't foresee it. He declared it and ordained it. So it's happening because he willed it. Right? And that is his decree. Then we talked about, we continue on the decree. Then we talked about creation. Well, if God is sovereign and he's all powerful, and the scriptures reveal to us who he is, and he's got this decree... Where is that decree going to play out? Where is the decree going to take shape and form? Where is the decree going to become fulfilled? It's going to happen in God's creation. He creates the stage. He creates the time and the space for those events and and things and, 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 and people that are to be saved and all that. For all those things to take place, He creates the canvas where His decree will be carried out. And so He created... The universe, the world, all things in them. He did it in six days. Uh, We don't have to review all this again, but I'm just kind of weaving the thread to get to chapter 7, where we're going to start today. Okay, So that sovereign God that Scripture revealed to us created the space where His decrees would come to fulfillment. And in that creation, He exercises or employs His divine providence. He said divine providence is His sovereignty or purposeful sovereignty. His sovereignty executed. His his sovereignty, His decrees coming to pass by the means that He ordained. God steps into His creation. He, he, He preordains events and circumstances. Things don't come into your life by chance. God has placed them there for His purposes as He pleases. Praise God, He's a holy God, righteous God, good God. But His divine providence, uh, wars, famines, you lose your job, an illness comes into your life. You lose the loved one, Uh, someone shares the gospel with you at work. You are placed with someone that needs the gospel shared with at work. Uh, It is all by divine providence. It is God's decree working its way out. Actually, playing itself in space and time, as Pastor would say. And so as we move into the decree and God's divine providence, we account for the fall of mankind. Now this is, we, we, we know the, the stories in Genesis of Adam and Eve, and, and how God created everything, and speaking of that creation, He created everything good in His divine providence. He put them in a garden. What did He do? He created, there were two trees in there. One tree was the tree of what? Tree of life. One tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why were those trees there? God's divine providence. He saw it fit to play out his decrees this way. And so with the fall of mankind, which was also part of his divine providence, we don't need to let God off the hook for the fall of mankind. It was in his wisdom. It pleased him that this would happen. But God made mankind upright and good and gave them perfect instructions and rules. And mankind could have had life by keeping God's word, right? They had to not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But mankind was tempted through Satan and transgressed God's law, God's command, God's word. And we know that transgressing God's law, God's standard is sin. And we know because of what Romans tells us and the rest of scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. So, through that transgression, through that fall of mankind, the punishment, sin entered the world through Adam. And every descendant of Adam was tainted under this sin. This became the new natural state of man. It was a fallen, sinful nature. Man enjoyed a, I want to say perfect or a holy nature, for a time until sin entered the world through man and we were tainted. And the punishment was death. Death means separation. And we were separated from God. Uh, but God purposed this for his glory. So, what we're going to look at now is chapter 7. If you've got it there, we'll take a look. Chapter 7 in the uh, confession. And we're going to talk about God's covenant. God's covenant. Can somebody tell me what a covenant is? An mm-hmm. agreement. An agreement. If we're going to talk about modern day covenants, what would what would be the word we would use? A contract. What does a contract have in it? Now, I don't need details. You can say, well, what kind of contract are you talking about? But what does a contract have in it? Some general things in there. Stipulations. Stipulation. Terms. Right? Mm-hmm. A, B, and C are going to happen. And then what's the other thing that it has? Conditions. Condi- I didn't think of conditions, but it's got consequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the terms are violated, then D, E, and F are going to happen, right? Whatever it might be. So it's got terms, conditions, and consequences in there. And so God, in His all holy wisdom, in His sovereignty, after the fall, we'll read here this first point and these are just I, I, I took the points that were in there kind of summarized them maybe the first two or three are in the, in the one point here then the second two are in there so kind of just gave you a quick little summary of what's in the points that you have there in the book. But God's covenant, God's contract right? He's got terms and conditions and he made uh, he, he, he made this contract, this covenant and so after the fall, right? This is, not, this is not placing a timeline on when God made the covenant. I just want to set this up. After the fall, the distance between God and man was so great, the only way to bridge the gap was through God's voluntary condescension, which he expressed through covenant. covenant. What am I saying here? God's covenant, which we'll see in a minute, was before even creation but God and all his wisdom and knowledge and, and, and his divine providence that he set these things in motion God was not unaware that the fall would occur and it's not that the fall happened and so he rewound time and did this plan, the plan was from the beginning the plan was always Jesus Christ Jesus from the beginning Revelation says he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world that those whose names are written in the book of life are written there before the foundation of the world. So I don't want you to misunderstand when I say after the fall. I just needed to place it in terms that we can discuss about, right? The, the, this is more describing the condition of man and why God in his sovereignty and wisdom made, made the covenant, right? And spoiler alert, we're going to call it covenant of redemption, covenant of grace here. So after the fall, the, the gap between man and God, why? Because of sin, God is a holy, holy God. Man sinned, and God said, you will surely die. Death is separation. The separation was from God. Man could no longer enjoy that perfect communion that he had with God because of sin, and the gap, the chasm that that placed before God. Man was lost, dead in sin. There was no way for man to bridge that gap back to become made Righteous to be in good standing with God, the offense was created, and man was powerless to um, redeem himself. And so, the only way that that chasm, that, that gap, that separation could be resolved was through God's voluntary condescension God coming down to man. Man could not make it to God, God had to come down to man, and this condescension is expressed through covenant. We're going to take a look at that right now. If you have your Bible, you can start turning to Genesis 3.15. If you have to turn there, you probably don't have to turn there. In fact, let me open up my uh, Bible app here so I'm better prepared. Genesis 3.15. Have that handy? I, I say open it up because uh, I do know that you know, we have some, some newer folks in here. We're going to talk about the covenant of grace. So in those points, it mentions the covenant of grace, God's contract of grace. So there's something going on with God's grace, and he's got some terms in there. The covenant of grace is where God offers sinners life and salvation through Jesus Christ. So already we've got some elements here that we could see a covenant or a contract. We say, well, there's life and salvation to be offered, but it comes through the person of Jesus Christ alone, right? By logical inference, you can deduce that, well, death and not salvation come apart from Jesus Christ. So salvation, and life through Jesus, death and condemnation apart from Jesus. So we got some terms there. The terms are this, faith in Jesus is required on the part of man. So man must have faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, are we not? How do we know that? Okay, alright, just making sure. Now we understand why the Holy Scripture Huh? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> alright, faith in Jesus Christ is required on the part of man. God, these are the provisions, right, of a contract. I lend probably signs contracts all the time, right? Uh, this is a provision. God gives the Holy Spirit to make man willing and able to believe or have faith in Jesus Christ. Sorry, I told you to turn Genesis 3.15. Let's turn to Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Somebody want to read that out loud for us? Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. Nice, loud, clear voice. I'll read it. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. All right. I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinance. Okay. So God has determined, God has said that faith in Jesus Christ is required for life and salvation. And we read in in this summary of the confession that God gives the Holy Spirit to make man willing and able to have faith in Jesus Christ. So therefore, our faith is a gift from God. Because we can understand faith to be our work. We can understand that, well, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We can kind of say, I earned my salvation because I was smart enough, cute enough, handsome enough, went to the right school, heard the right preacher, you know, whatever it was, and I placed my faith in Christ. But we read that God is the one that takes our heart of stone, right, and turns into a heart of flesh, meaning brings us from death to life, is what that's saying. And then as Mike read in 37, it says, he placed in us his spirit, right? His Holy Spirit in us. So the same way man became a living creature when God breathed his spirit into him, well, after the fall, man died spiritually. Every man's spirit needed the breath of God again, right? The Holy Spirit for regeneration, we call that, right? To to be born again. And so Ezekiel says that God causes us to fulfill his word and his Standard, his laws, and it's by his spirit. Man needs life first. It's all a gift of God, man can't give himself life. God places his spirit in man, and he gives man the desire, the ability to fulfill his statutes and his law. So, there are terms here, but if we can see these terms, it looks like this covenant is between God And God. Because man is just a beneficiary in here. God says faith is required in Jesus. We can't have faith of our own, but God makes us alive and gives us His Spirit that causes us to have faith in Jesus. As we read in Ezekiel 36. This covenant, this covenant of grace, right? This covenant of grace is revealed through the gospel. Now, I'll have somebody read Genesis 3.15, and what's the other verse up there? 2 Timothy 1.9. Somebody read Genesis 3.15. This covenant is revealed through the gospel, and I put that up there, um, you know, as, a, as an homage to pastor, but it, it is true. When you say gospel, it's revealed through the gospel, immediately you think, what book? John, probably, right? Gospel of John. You think Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The gospel is revealed in Genesis 3.15. Who has that one? I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise your, your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Alright. Len, do you mind giving us a, a one sentence, how that is a presentation of the gospel there? Well, a one sentence presentation? Yeah. A <laughs> uh, one sentence is a presentation. uh uh-huh. Uh, anyway, the, the short of it is that, that, that God has orchestrated, God has allowed this to happen, mm-hmm. but he's also allowed the redemption of man. that he's in complete control, and right. he's made that provision even before it happened. Right. He, he, he promised a redeemer, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And so, that is provision. We talked about God's divine providence. We talked about his decree, etc. So, God's decrees come to fulfillment through God's actions. Right? And so, the covenant that God made, this covenant of grace whereby uh, believers receive new life and faith in Christ Jesus, that his spirit to place faith in Christ Jesus, was promised in Genesis 3.15. 2 Timothy 1, 9 who Who's got that? I used to remember the sword drills with the Bible. Stand here and put... Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Wow. Can you read that last line again, given to us? Mm -hmm. Given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time began. Now, I'm a, I'm a movie buff. Every time I hear before time, I immediately go to sci-fi movies and, and things like that. And it's usually some garbage that follows after that, right? But this says that it was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. Now, where were we before time began? Nowhere. Before time began, there was God. And his decrees. And his purposes. And intent. And so God is in covenant with himself. And we are the beneficiaries of that covenant. Uh, What is the the name of the covenant that we call that by? The covenant of? Grace. Grace. But then we call it also the covenant of? Redemption. Redemption. The covenant of redemption. Let's continue to look at the next point. That covenant was... Uh, states that we must have faith in Christ Jesus. As Pastor John read, we we received that grace, we received that salvation, we received that spirit through Christ Jesus before time began. In other words, by God's decree, working out in our lives at the right time through God's divine providence. And that covenant provides the, the condition of faith in the Redeemer that we saw announced in Genesis 3.15, right? And that brings us to point number eight: that redeemer is Christ the mediator. Now, when we have contracts and things to sign, I remember uh, when I, when I purchased my house and you know the mortgage and all that um, there's always that person that oversees right or, or, or uh, so I had to have a lawyer present to kind of make sure that all the items and terms, whether I was ignorant of it or whether I had any understanding of it, this person kind of sat there and made sure that all the, I was going to say the the T's are dotted and I's are crossed. The I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and everything is uh, up to par there. Uh, But in this case, you have Christ is the mediator. So let's read this first point. It says, according to the covenant made between them. And again, this is just a summary of the points that you have in there. According to the covenant made between them. Who's the them? Should have been a capital T there. God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. According to that covenant, God ordained Jesus as mediator. And I threw in the word only mediator, which is Super important, right? Because, you know, in the days of Joel Osteen and all these and all the, you know, politically correct televangelists that aren't, that are nowhere evangelists, so I don't even know what they are, they'll tell you that there's many ways to God. Not so. Not what Scripture says. Scripture says Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. I put humanity, but uh, uh, he's the only mediator between God and man. Meaning, that chasm that we cannot cross, right, stipulated because of God's covenant that the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That was also a covenant there, right? It was, a, it was a contract. Man violated the contract and the terms were executed. He was spiritually dead, separated from God. God condescended via covenant and he established a mediator the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is prophet priest, this is another summary of your point there, Jesus is uh, that mediator, we're going to talk about him, Jesus Christ, we all know who he is, but for the sake of newer people and for the sake of the flow of our understanding of how the confession flows, the scriptures establish that Jesus is prophet, what is, what is the function of a prophet? Proclaim, proclaim a message. Proclaim, he's the spokesman of God, Right? The spokesman of God. So it's, it's not just you know, foretelling you know, future events, etc. It's the mouthpiece of God. Right? Prophet. Priest. What is the role of a priest? Well, let's say this. A prophet represents God to the people. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Now I know why I had him. It's great. <laughs> a prophet represents God to the people. The priest represents... The people to God sounds to me like Jesus is very qualified to be a mediator, right? He's got representation. I almost want to use like equal representation, but that's that was a bad idea. But he represents God to the people and represents the people to God in his office of prophet and his office of priest. He's also king, so he's got authority. He's got the authority. He is after all, let's not let's remember this because we, we think of the Old Testament, we think of oh, you know, God of the Old Testament was you know, he was he was a little more hardcore and, and Jesus is a little more loving in the Old Testament. And in our minds for some reason we convince ourselves that Jesus wasn't there in the Old Testament. Right? That Jesus wasn't there when God said, you know, slay all the Amalekites and don't leave even a beast alive, et cetera, et cetera. We kind of remove Jesus from that. Jesus is the very same God. And yet He's the mediator as well. So you see the condescension of God to mediate between the people that are fallen and separated from Him. He's the King. He's the authority. He is the covenant maker and the covenant executor. He is the head of the church. He is our head. We are to submit to the teaching of Jesus Christ, which is penned and inspired for us in the Holy Scriptures. So we see how God in his wisdom, just kind of ties all these things together. He's the, head of our, he's the head of the church. He's the heir of all things, and he is judge of the world. So he is perfectly qualified to be the mediator. He is the mediator that we need. He's the mediator that we want, and he's the only mediator that, can satisfy all the requirements of these covenants. For it's it's His covenant. The Father gave the Son, speaking of Christ the Mediator, Christ our Lord, the Father gave the Son from eternity past. This This is now that covenant of redemption. So when I say eternity past, I say before creation, when it was just God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father gave this, and this is this is taken from Scripture. This is not some idea that we're just making up to kind of massage the confession into us. That's that's what I, that's that's a very important point that I want you to take. But the Father gave the Son from eternity past a people to be His offspring. Now, how did the Father give that to Jesus Christ? It was through decree before time began. John read, we have it through Jesus Christ before time began. And so he gives a people to be his offspring. And in time, these people, who are these people? Us. In theological terms, they're obviously the elect, right? Because they were given to Christ before time began. They were predetermined to belong to Jesus Christ. And so the father gives the son a people to be his offspring, which led, read, the promise of that redeemer, right in Genesis three fifteen. In time they would be redeemed. What does redeemed mean? Bought back, bought back, purchased, right? Uh, called. Called means what? You can almost just say called. Right? <laughs> called or reached out to, right? Uh, they would be called. They would be justified, declared righteous, righteous sanctified, made holy. made holy. Right? Sanctified. Uh, holy also means a separation, but it's more a separation from sin. Right? Becoming more like Christ, separated from our sinful nature, more towards God. Sanctification. Sanctified and glorified by Him. So these people that were given to Jesus from eternity past, in this covenant, through this covenant of redemption, executed through this covenant of grace, Jesus as the mediator, these people would be redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified by Him, by Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 19 and 20. Sean, if you could find that. In Romans 8 30. David, I know you were trying to read like two of these before. <laughs> yeah, First Peter 1, First Peter one oh, okay. 19 and 20. But with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. All right. So, Christ appeared in these times for our sake, but He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Right? This is, this is the covenant. The Father gave us over to Jesus before the foundation of the world. Dave, uh, Romans 8.30. And those who He predestined, He also called. And those who He called, He also justified. And those who He justified, He also glorified. And those who He predestined are called justified, sanctified, glorified it's right there in scripture right? there's all this contention about election uh, but it's clear as day in scripture the elect right? you're yeah, right, the elect that's true, we have a problem with it because it might violate our, what we think is a sovereign will, but we are not the mediator we're not the covenant maker, we are just covenant breakers, alright alright so, if it violates that, if, if, if you have a, a problem with it, take it up with the Lord on, on, on that final day and have Him explain to you, okay? okay? Jesus is the same substance and equal with God the Father. This is the next point about who this mediator is, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. Thanks. He is of equal substance with God the Father. He is truly God, okay? He is truly God, continuing on, Christ the Mediator. I don't know if that's going to go, maybe it won't, I don't know. Oh, it did? Okay, there it goes. So Jesus is truly God. Next we see Jesus took on human nature in all of its essential properties. What does that mean? He took on human form. He wasn't some kind of special exempt human that he, you know, some kind of hybrid. There you go. He wasn't some kind of, he took on, why? Why did he take on human form? He had to be one of us. Well, if he was going to, he had the representing God to the people part. He had to be able to represent the people to God. And so man committed this sin. Man owed a debt to God. And so a a man had to be the one to redeem man. We had needed a a faithful high priest, uh, a a representative. Jesus took on human nature in all of its essential properties, but without sin. So he was truly man. So he's truly God, truly man. John one fourteen. Somebody can read that out loud, please. I was going to read them all, but I figured this way we... I feel like we're having a chat, right? John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Alright, so there we have it. The Word, the Logos, Jesus, second person of the Trinity, became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the light of man, right? He was perfect. The Father was pleased to make all fullness dwell in Him. Fullness meaning the fullness of deity, right? His, of the Godhead. The Father was pleased to make all fullness dwell in Him. Therefore, Jesus was qualified to carry out the office of both the mediator and the guarantor. Is that how you say that? Guarantor. What is what is a guarantor? The one who guarantees. The one that can say, "Oh no, this is going to be met. This is going to be satisfied." Right? Notice it's not the cosigner. Right? We're we're not we're not we're not trying, and where we fail, you know, he comes in and kind of come. No, he's the guarantor. It's almost like we're not even part of the equation in there. Right? We're we're just the benefactors. He makes a promise. Say it again, Tom. He makes a promise. Yes, he makes the promise. He is the guarantor. He has the ability to satisfy the contract in a manner that the terms are guaranteed. Alright? Yeah, they're looking at this too. it's point like, he's the second Adam. You know, Adam guarantees the fact that all in him will die. Oh yeah, it, Adam represents that's a great point. All humanity, and Christ as the federal head of His people guarantees that His people will be righteous. Right, his that's a great point because we do have that guarantee in Adam, right? The guarantee of death, the guarantee of sin, the guarantee of condemnation. Uh, but praise God through the mediator Jesus, we have the guarantee of life and salvation. Great contrast. Jesus was sinless and perfectly fulfilled the law of God. When we read about Jesus, it says he was at the right time, in the fullness of time. Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus was subjected to the very same words, uh, law, and commandments of God that, that, that he gave us. God did not ask, did not exempt Jesus from obeying his law. Jesus was, as, as Mike said, where Adam failed, Jesus was, as the second Adam, as Romans would call him, Jesus was the, the Adam that fulfilled. Right? He fulfilled all of God's law. He was sinless. He perfectly fulfilled the law of God, though he was crucified on a sinner's cross. And so, his death on the cross atoned for our sin. Why? Because there was a debt to be paid. And yet this mediator who owed no debt because he fulfilled the law perfectly. he never sinned. He didn't deserve to die that. But he took that debt upon him. So now, uh, saying that the check sheet is in balance is is almost an understatement. Because we didn't break even through Christ. We, we, We are righteous. We are made righteous through Jesus Christ. We exceeded that breaking even. He didn't bring us to a clean slate. He brings us to a state of righteousness with God. We are declared righteous before God because of what Jesus has done. I think we can often misrepresent what Christ did for us and say, well, he cleaned the slate for us as if now now we have a new chance. No, it's not a new chance. We, we, we have that endless righteousness that Christ has given us. We are forgiven, redeemed by Jesus. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, just that came to mind, though, uh, why man cannot fulfill this one, though, because, again, we know that man is not perfect. And another example that I just remember, though, I think it was Abraham, when the, uh, God uh, made a covenant uh, with him, a promise with him, and then uh, told him to uh, put in a sacrifice but it was God himself who fulfilled Filled it it, right. it was only him who can guarantee that, uh, not any other man who can guarantee though that it's going to be perfect right. So he himself is the one who fulfilled it uh, who went through the sacrifice and went through the middle of it so he guaranteed it himself he did it himself. And that, that's, a, that's a great point right I, thank you for that. If you, if you take a look at every covenant. Where man was involved. Man violated the covenant. Every covenant. We are covenant breakers. Therefore, there's there's every every place that man could fail, man failed. And yet, Jesus, who, I gotta be very careful how I say this, did not fail in any of it, right, he he was perfect in in, in obedience, but we, wherever God entered into, or placed the condition, right, he gave the Ten Commandments, he gave the law, well read Deuteronomy, I think it's 28, where the terms are, if you violate the law, oh, all the things that are going to happen, and then we read on later in scripture, all those things happen, which means, man broke covenant, right, praise God that it doesn't depend upon us to keep covenant because we would never, we would never keep covenant. We're going through Jesus. So Jesus was sinless, perfectly fulfilled the law of God. He perfectly satisfied the terms from God to man. He perfectly satisfied the terms from man to God, right? Perfectly qualified, uh, satisfied them. He died on the cross as the guarantor, as the mediator, right? There was a violation, there were terms if man violated this covenant and Jesus satisfied the terms and conditions and consequences of that covenant. Jesus physically rose from the dead. We have physically rose from the dead because there are Gnostics and all that saying that Jesus was a spirit. He was never physical. You know, if if that was the case, he wouldn't be a mediator for us because he was the are of the flesh. He was totally spirit. So John Argues against all of this in, in, in his epistles. Jesus physically rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, where he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Right? The resurrection was key because it gave him the uh, the, the power over sin and death. He demonstrated himself to have power and authority over sin and death. And he also serves in his resurrected self in his resurrection he serves as an, as an eternal reminder not that god needs to be reminded but you follow me what i'm saying here he serves as an, as an eternal reminder that the debt was paid that the debt was paid right uh scripture doesn't say this but in my little finite mind i picture him with you know the covenant and everything in there you know guaranteed stamped stands in front of god and says "Oh." oh. Guaranteed. Now that's a little illustration. Scripture doesn't say that. Don't don't misunderstand here. We move on to free will. Free will. I almost said free willy. Free will. I've got, what, two minutes? Three minutes? God endowed humans with liberty and power to act on choices. Do we disagree with that? No. 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 Okay, it's not a trick question. Everybody's like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone's used to Mike being up here. They're like, oh, I don't know. Hold on. He's trying to set me up. God and the human, with, uh, human will with liberty and power to act on choices. Now, let's talk about this free will and, and these choices. Adam and Eve. In innocence. What do I mean by in innocence? Before the fall. Right? Before they sin. They had freedom and power to will and do what was good and pleasing to God. So Adam and Eve were under what covenant, Mike? Before they sinned? Covenant of works. works. What does that covenant of works mean? It means it was performance-based. So long as they didn't disobey, they didn't break covenant, they were pleasing to God. Right? We know that that ended after they sinned. And then all the terms of that played itself out. So Adam and Eve, in innocence, had freedom and the power uh, to will and to do what was good and pleasing to God, but this was an unstable position. Why? Because it just, it was as good up until the uh, uh, famous John quote is like, it's good until it isn't. Right? Those, those kinds of things. It's, it, and that's really what it is, actually. It was good until it wasn't. Until they sinned. And so mankind could fall from this state. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. Somebody can read that really quickly, and somebody look up the other verses Romans eight seven and six forty four there. I announce to you to no that's eighteen. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and person. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. All right. So we see here, choice. That man has choice to, 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 to obey or disobey. We saw that there. And Adam and Eve, before the fall, had that choice. And we know what choice they made. After the fall, and into a state of sin, humanity lost. This is what Mike was saying about, uh, in Adam, right? About Adam being our federal head. Humanity lost the ability to choose good. So here's where the confusion is about free will. Right. Free will. Can man make choices? Yes. But what choices will man make? Evil. Because of sin and the fall. What happens is in that sinful natural state, meaning without the Holy Spirit, after, after the fall, which is everyone from Adam and Eve down. So that's everyone, 100%. In our sinful natural state, without the Holy Spirit, we are opposed to good could say opposed to God. We could put opposed to God there. We are dead in sin and cannot by our own strength save ourselves nor choose to. We don't have the will to make the choice to satisfy God. We choose us. We choose to satisfy this God. Right? That was the sin that Adam and Eve made. So you say Adam and Eve were idiots. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. And yeah, you do. But Praise God. We have a mediator. right? Uh, Romans 8.7 Because the mind is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. Alright. John 6.44 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to the Father unless they are drawn by the father when god converts sinners he frees them from their natural bondage to sin that's without the holy spirit their natural state when we have the holy spirit we're supernatural state right salvation is a supernatural thing Uh, he frees them from their natural bondage to sin and by grace enables them to will and to do freely what is spiritually good So this is, I think Mike taught this one, right? Uh, Free will. I'm not sure who did. But it is the redeemed soul. Those who are saved that have a free will to obey God's word or to sin. Those that are not saved, that are still in their natural sinful state, do not have the ability to make the choice for they are dead in sin and trespasses. So, what does that mean? They're off the hook? No. They're still subject to the terms and conditions. It means you are more on the hook. Because now you are sinning on this side of grace, having been redeemed, tasted the salvation of God, and you are freely choosing to sin. Which God will correct, He will discipline you, because He loves you, you are redeemed, you are elect, but you're not without consequence. Right? There's punishment for that. You don't lose your salvation, but you, who are saved, have the freedom to choose good and bad, right? Praise God that the merits are not ours, it's the merits of Christ that keeps us, he's the guarantor not our performance. The remaining corruption of humans causes us to do, not us saved people, causes us to do not perfectly or exclusively what is good, but also what is evil. Meaning we still sin after we are saved. Alright? So there's, there's no such thing as perfect uh, Christianity. And I'll end with this, I was going to do 10, but we'll pick up 10 through 17 uh, through 16 next week. It says, only in the state of glory is the will made perfectly and unchangeably free toward good alone. What does that mean? When we all get to heaven, we will have that perfect will, unchangeably, it will not change, it will be the perfect will to do good alone. Uh, Ephesians 4.13, and we'll end on the reading of Ephesians 4.13. Nice and loud. It's four thirteen. Yeah, i it, read really? it. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Amen. Amen. That's that's our hope, right? We have the guarantee of getting there because of Jesus Christ. Because of God's sovereignty, authority, and His decree. And His divine providence that brought it into play. That made it happen in in space and time in our history. Because He is God, Sovereign One, who can decree those things. Praise God for the scriptures that we have that reveal these things to us by, by His Spirit as well too. So we see how all these things go. And next week we'll start off with effectual calling. And you talk about divine providence and God's sovereignty. Well, even his calling to us is part of that sovereignty, part of his divine providence, right? Where the call to those that are elect will be answered. Why? Because we've got the guarantor and we've got the decreed will of God. So we'll, we'll jump in next week and then hopefully that... Well, no, not next week, right? Next week? week after. Next week's the next week time. after. Next week is the cursor, okay? So... Remember all of this for two weeks. Alright? <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God. Oh, Lord, sometimes just saying these things and looking at them in a linear way like this, dear God, in our finite minds is so refreshing to know that it all stems from you. It is all of you. It is all your work. We recognize that we are covenant breakers, but oh, Lord... The grace you have shown in being the guarantor, the the restorer of covenant, the redeemer of mankind, O God. How can we do anything but praise your name? We thank you, dear God, that these are truths, O Lord, that will stand through eternity. They are unchangeable, as you are immutable, O Lord. We praise your holy name, dear God. Now. As we go into your service, dear God, I pray that you would just overwhelm our hearts with joy and overwhelm our hearts, dear God, with these truths, dear God, that we would pour out praise to you, O Lord, in light of what we know, and that we would have open and receptive hearts to hear your message coming from Pastor, O Lord, and that we would be a people that worship and glorify you, O Lord, as you deserve it all. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.